God bless you, Jay. Oh, uh, H. Don't get it started there, Steve Hamrick, you agitator. Uh, hey, we're going to take the offering up, and so if those who are passing the baskets out, if you could just hand them around. Hey, we still need, I think, uh, about $3,700 for our sound equipment, so if you guys could keep that in mind, throw in some extra $100 bills in there for the sound equipment and for the ministry here at the Vineyard. Just go ahead and pass them around. Go for it. A couple of quick things to get out of the way. If you're a newcomer, uh, in the chair seat in front of you, there's a card that says, Welcome Vineyard. You can fill it out, and if you fill it out before that offering basket comes by, you can drop it in there, or if the basket gets by before, uh, with, before you get the chance to fill it out, when you walk out, there's two wooden boxes on either side of the, the entry doors. Just drop that card in there, and uh, if you put your address on there, we'll send you a $5 Tim Hortons gift card just for uh, joining us today. Here's what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. There's a men's breakfast. Uh, we always have it the first Saturday. Uh, the food pantry is coming up the second Saturday. The second Saturday. And uh, if, you've never, if you've never participated in our food pantry, it's, it's the uh, International House of Pancakes food pantry where uh, folks from all over the world literally come show up at our door. And uh, we encourage you to come and check that out and uh, help us serve. So, I don't think there's any other announcements to get out of the way, so uh, without further ado. We've been doing a series on identity, and we're just exploring our identity as followers of Jesus. And so the, the first week of January, we, we identified our fundamental identity. If you're a follower of Jesus, your fundamental identity is your beloved child of God. And then Last week, we looked at the idea that if we're a child of God, child only makes sense in reference to a family, and so we are a family. That, that you're not just you and Jesus, that you're part of a family, that that's a fundamental identity, and we talked about how, how important it is. Today, I want to introduce a, a, a second thing. We are a family of servants. Now, the idea of being a servant is not popular. In fact, if, if someone took a survey and they put it on that game show, you know, the 10 things that you have to guess, I don't think anybody would guess that people, their, their, their sense of identity is that they're a servant. In fact, most people, I, I would say, would say, I don't want to be a servant. That's like the least desirable kind of job that I think anyone could ever want to have. Yet, Jesus said, if you're smart, if you get it, if you're perceptive at all, at the top of your list of who you want to be is you should want to be a servant. Now, that may sort of sound a little bit strange and you know, foreign to your ears because we've been groomed from the moment we were kids not that we weren't, many of us weren't raised by families that taught us to be responsible, et cetera, et cetera. But secretly inside us, we have these conflicting desires. One of them is inside each person that's sitting here, each one of you, you have this desire in you for your life to have an impact, to be significant, to make a difference, to stand out. I don't mean in, you know, in, in a, in, an immature way. I just mean that your life is meant to make a difference. That's written inside you because God made you and you're in his image. And there's 
a slice of him in each of us. And he is so amazing that that makes us potentially amazing. And, and we have a sense of that. Now, sometimes that is, that's layered under a lot of baggage. Nevertheless, it's there. And it, at, at the same time, there's this desire to want what I want. And these two things are somehow mixed together in this weird brew. And the idea of being a servant then seems to be really far away from either of those desires. But I want to, I want to take you to a story. It's one of those fundamental stories in the Gospels. Jesus is just always asking people questions that are really surprising. But one of the questions, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus says to people over and over and over, and I want to tell you, before I even read the passage, I want, to, I want you to think about this. Jesus said to, he says to a woman in this story, he says to her, what do you want? What do you really want? And that sounds like a loaded question. I mean, that's like, you know, you rub the bottle and the genie comes out and he goes, you got a wish. And you think, at some point when I was a kid, when I used to see that, that movie, I used to think, why doesn't anybody ever say, I wish I had an infinite number of wishes, right? Nobody, that never occurs to anybody in the story, apparently. I was a greedy little lonely child. You have to understand. That's just the way I thought. But Jesus has wowed them over and over and over and over. And somehow, like God and Jesus are people in people's minds, this is starting to happen. And they're starting to realize when Jesus says, what do you want? Think about it and ask big. Ask big. Now, we don't tend to think that way because we kind of think, well, I've asked big before and I haven't gotten it. we got to rethink that. When you meet Jesus, he's trying to stretch our imagination to think bigger. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about, but what do you want? What version of you, the best version of you, do you want? Sometimes as we get a little older, like I'm, as they say, getting longer in the tooth, and it's easy at my age to start sort of going, ah, I don't have, I, you know, I kind of settling in, you know, whatever I thought it was going to be like, I was going to do, eh, I'm not doing that, but it's easy to do that. Yeah, I mean, each year that ticks by, each trip around the sun, certain things that you hoped would happen don't happen, and it's easy for that to sort of tame you. But Jesus says something to this woman that shocks her. He says, what do you want? And when she tells him what she wants, he doesn't say to her, that is stupid, that's wrong. He really commends her, but he says, I can't give you that, but I'll give you something just as good. And it's interesting, he, he, he tells her something, though, that totally turns what she asked upside down. But what he says is, I'm going to give you what you asked for, but I'm going to give you the way to get there. And it's, it's not the way you thought. So if, if you have a Bible with you, open it to Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to start reading in verse 20 and read to verse 28. It's just a, a brief story. And as we read this story, Jesus is going to reinforce this idea that we're servants. And that the best version of who we can be involves embracing our identity as servants. 
And he says, you can't be the best, the best version of who you are unless you embrace this idea of being a servant. And so he's going to explain to them what servants do. He's going to explain to them what servants get paid. And then at the end, he, he is going to show them how you become a servant, how anybody becomes a servant. Now, I think they thought they knew, but he, they didn't know. And Jesus is going to explain it to them. Okay, starting at verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, that's James and John, the apostles, came to Jesus and with her sons, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? There's that question. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can. And that, the cup meant a cup of suffering. Okay, so they were kind of thinking, we're going to, this is the way we bypass. <laughs> Jesus keeps telling us there's going to be suffering. Maybe if we just ask him directly, we can skip the suffering. No. He says, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my Father. Now, this is then where Jesus challenges them. But I want you to think about this for a second. This is the desire in all of us to be significant. Jesus, Jesus was engaged with this mother who wanted her sons to have significant lives. And he didn't, he didn't just sort of brush her aside and say no. He just said that, that those particular kinds of significant lives are not mine to give. And he didn't say that they weren't possibly those people. He just said that's not my choice. The Father's the one that has the say on that. But what he says next is he's going to challenge this idea about how you get to that place. Because in their mind, the Messiah, the Jewish people had this thing in their heads that the Messiah was going to be a military ruler. He was going to ride into Jerusalem, and he was just going to, boom, lay the wood to the Romans, conquer them, and make Israel uh, the nation that it was supposed to be, the head of all the nations, that God was going to rule there. The Messiah was his power, his victory, because all they understood in the past was about force and war and fighting and conquering. Jesus was coming as a different kind of king. The problems of the world are not going to be solved with the sword. They aren't. They, they, there are problems that can be solved with the sword, but not the real problems behind the problems. So Jesus says to them, and this next part, he says, listen. Oh, I'm sorry. There's another moment. He says, when the ten, the other ten disciples heard about this, what these two disciples had done, they were indignant with the two brothers. Now, why do you think they were indignant? And they're jealous, like, oh, my gosh, we were thinking about that, but we didn't even think of, like, getting mom. You know, everybody knows you can't say no to the Jewish mom. <laughs> and they got there ahead of us, right? They, they were all, we were all, we're all infected with this. The only significant life you can live is if you're up the chain of command. If you're at these seats of power, if you're famous, they, they could only conceive of greatness in a certain light. And of course, only a few people could be great under that definition. And Jesus says to them, no. He goes, you know 
that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. If you're my followers, he's, he, he's going to say, you're servants. You're not bosses. You're servants. That is your identity. Now, let me say something. It is not in any... Being a servant does not cancel out our identity as a child of God. These are not in contradiction. Because our fundamental identity is a beloved child of God, that is the foundation on which we can become servants. Because we're not demeaning. I mean, we're not demeaned and, and humiliated because we serve. And you'll see in a second why that's true. But he says, not so with you. Oops, I lost my place. Instead, so don't try to climb the ladder of power and influence. Now, God may call you to that, but don't, don't confuse being in a position of influence in a company or socially or in some other way with being the servant you're supposed to be. You can be a servant there, or you can be a Gentile ruler and lord there and lord it over people, and then you aren't exercising your role in that position of authority that, that God's given you. So, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, Jesus says here, here's what a servant does. And he says a servant, and he used two words that they all knew. The word diakonos in Greek and the word duolos. Those were two kinds of servants. Diakonos was a waiter. Duolos was in the hierarchy of servants in the house. The duolos was the lowest servant. But they were also the servant who was a lifelong servant and in some cases had bound themselves out of love to the master of the household, they wanted to be, in other words, when, when you, you could, most slavery in the ancient world was not lifetime of slavery. You had, you, you had to work for a certain number of years and then you were free. It wasn't like modern, uh, our modern first world kind of slavery that, that we saw here in America. These were two groups of people and their job was to do Whatever needed to be done, whenever it needed to be done, whatever that took. That's what servants, and, and that they understood that's, that was the job of servants. And Jesus said, I'm one of those servants. I'm a diakonia. I'm a waiter. Now, they had, they had their, their estimation of Jesus was every day was increasing who he was. They looked at him and said, this person is like nobody we've ever encountered before. And we, uh, whatever categories we put him in, he keeps breaking the categories. He's greater than we ever thought. And the other two words that were used here was, he said, if you want to be first, or if you want to be great, and that word first is, is proto, you know, prototype, we get that word. And great, that word is megalos, which means, you know, big, so if you want to be the prototype that everyone else imitates, and you want to be megas, which means to be esteemed, to do that, you have to be a waiter and a household servant of the lowest type who's willing 
to do whatever it takes, whenever it takes, wherever that leads you. And Jesus said, and, and again, you can imagine how this is working in their minds. Jesus said, this is grounded in who I am. That what I'm calling you to do is not something I'm not doing. This is who I am. In fact, I didn't even come to be served. I came to serve. In other words, I came, a servant is, their purpose is to the benefit of others. All their actions are about benefiting other people. It's a challenging idea to say that's what I'm called to do. So just for a second, think of where you work and live like your family, learn and play. You have a certain role in each of those places. Your role has a definition. There, you have you know, interactions with other people. And Jesus says, where you are in all those places, you're supposed to identify yourself, self-identify as I'm a servant there. My job is to serve the interest of other people all around me. Now, that's, you can't do everything for everybody, but you're supposed to start somewhere and benefit other people. Whatever they need, whenever they need it, wherever it leads you. That's what Jesus said he was doing. Even to the point, I'll show you in the end, he said, I'm even going to become the ransom to free slaves. He says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. So he says, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what he's calling them to do. They felt like they were being groomed to be the bosses because clearly he was spending time with these 12 disciples and they just thought, hey, man, we're going we're gonna to each have like our own little fiefdom. And Jesus said, no, you're not. That's not where this whole thing's going. And he was trying to tell them this kingdom that, that, that God is breaking into the world through him is going to work differently than everything else. And it's going to take things back to where they were meant to be. Because the story of the Bible is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And that Jesus said, new creation is breaking into the world through me. And this new creation is characterized by everyone being able to achieve greatness by being a servant. That when you live for the benefit of others and you don't live to get them to benefit you, you become a prototype and you become esteemed. Even if people don't esteem it and even if people take advantage of you, and people, if they don't respect you because they think that's some despised status that you've embraced, Jesus says the kingdom that's to come is going to be a kingdom where everyone who's great is like that. And I'm going to prove it to you. I'm the king, but I'm going to be a servant. And it was just changing the whole landscape of everything in their mind. Then, he, and so he said, that what they get, the reward we get, I believe, as I was reading this, I was thinking, what would these people have thought of when they heard this idea? Jesus was saying, this, this is the, the, the template for how you achieve greatness is different than what everybody thinks. And in, in the Jewish history, they had stories. This story is all through their story. I just want you to, to, to think with me, brainstorm with me for a second. Immediately, one person came to mind who's very famous in Jewish history who lived this story out, who, who proved it. 
He started off with this incredible sense of my life is going to be important and dynamic and significant. And then he found out how that was going to happen. And it wasn't going to take a route that he had imagined it was going to take. Which famous Jewish person in, in the Bible kind of fit that character? Hmm? No. Joseph. Joseph. God gave Joseph a dream twice and said, and, and, the, and, the, and the dream, he saw all these people bowing down to him and he told them. Of course, you know, we've talked about this before. Not everybody was excited about that idea. His brothers weren't excited. His mom and dad weren't excited. But his dad thought, hmm, maybe there's something to that. And so when, when Joseph, in his daily duties, went to see his brothers who were out in the fields with the flocks, his brothers decided they had enough of him. They called him the dreamer. They stripped his jacket that his father had given him as, as the family favorite. That's always a great thing to do, by the way, parents. Treat your children who already aren't well-liked by their brothers, their older brothers, like you love them more than them. That will assure, you know, a life of hell. <laughs> so they saw him coming, and they said, here comes the dreamer, and they decided, we're just going to kill him. Now, this is a great family. This is, this is a warm model family of faith. These are the patriarchs of Israel. Yeah, let's kill our brother. These were people who were spoken of a people with great faith. How do, you, how do you reconcile that? It just shows you. Sometimes God's people, people with real faith, don't behave the way they should. So they take him. They take his, his this distinctive coat he has, you know, as, as the Broadway play says, the coat of many colors. And they throw him into a pit, a cistern, a dry cistern, and, and they say, they, they eat, and they, they decide, how do we want to kill him, you know? How do we want to, we're, we're going to take our time. And one of his brothers talks him in and says, no, don't kill him. You know, let's just sell him into slavery. Being kind, i got a big heart, right? So they, they, they see some uh, Arab traders coming by. They sell their brother into slavery. And so he has these dreams of significance. Do you think right now he's thinking, Maybe that dream was just some bad mushrooms, you know? I, I don't know what it was, but this doesn't seem like God's with me. He gets sold from the Arab traders to someone's home, who was actually a pretty important official, and it says that God was with him in that guy's home, but he was a servant. He was a household servant. His job was to serve. And so he served and served, and, it, and, and the man noticed, wow, God's with this guy. In fact, everything he does just works really well. He really is taking my best interest at heart. And so I'm just going to give him, he's faithful and a little, and I'm going to give him more and more to pretty soon. He was the head servant in the whole household. And then that went, that went sideways, and then he got put in prison. And it, and it wasn't his fault that it went sideways. He was betrayed. He, get, he gets thrown into prison, and same thing happens. He'd is a servant in the prison. This is not upward mobility, if you haven't followed the narrative arc of the story. He is going, you know, he is the son of a really rich man. And then he becomes, a, you know, a slave. Then he becomes a slave of another really rich man. Then that goes sideways. Then he becomes the slave in prison. All right? His prospects are not looking bright. 
But it says God was with him. He decided to be a slave in the prison to do whatever it took, whenever it took, wherever it led him. And God was with him. And all these amazing things happen. And then before you know it, the Pharaoh calls him in and says, we, we need your wisdom because we heard that you interpret dreams. And he interpreted this, the Pharaoh's dream and it turned out that that was God speaking to the Pharaoh about the future. The Pharaoh looked at all of his, his counselors and said, nobody is as sharp as this guy. I'm going to make him in charge of all of Egypt. I'm the only person that's going to be his boss. So, lowest slave in the prison, all of a sudden, he is second in charge. Does this ring, this story ring like anything you've heard? Does it sound like what Jesus was saying? If you want to be first, become a servant. The, the, the way the world works as God conceives of it is, be a servant where you are, and you will be a prototype. Do what it takes whenever it's needed wherever it leads you. And God is with you, and he is going to make an impact on the people around you through you, wherever you are, where you live, work, play, and learn. And there's story after story. Now, here's what, here's what Jesus' Jesus's life did. There was a, a group of Christians in a city called Philippi, and they were having some struggles of getting along. And, and Paul wrote them a letter, and in Philippians chapter 2, here's what he said to them. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being united, or one in spirit and purpose. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. And some translations say, consider the needs of other people above your own. That's what servants do. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. But he emptied himself step one down, taking the very nature of a servant, step two down, and being found in appearance as a man, step three down. He humbled himself, step four, became obedient to death, step five, even death on a cross, step six. You see this descent, the descent of Jesus out of love to be a servant, even the point, he was obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. Servants are asked things to ask uh, things are asked of servants that crucify them. And Jesus never said no. Whatever the Father asked him to do, he said yes. And so it says, Therefore God exalted them to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he says... This story, if you enter into this story, it ends differently than if you try to get to the top on your own. If you go to the bottom and serve, you will get to the top. If you go to the top, you won't stay there. You'll be tossed 
and you'll end up at the bottom when it's all said and done. Now, this challenges our, our thinking. It challenges our heart. We want to get to the top. And Jesus says, I promise you, that's what you're destined for. That The dream that God gave Joseph was God's purpose for his life. And our dreams don't all have to be so dramatic. But we all have dreams inside us that God wants to realize. But do you understand this? This is the pay of the servant. You can only fulfill your destiny if you're willing to be a servant. If you, if, if you think your destiny is to be great and you're going to make it happen by pursuing greatness, you can guarantee you will not realize it. Because if you do that, you will not, when push comes to shove, you will always choose what's best for you. That's what, that's what people do. Unless they have this attitude in themselves that they're going to be like Christ. And they're going to believe there's a whole different narrative there's a whole different story that we can live in than that power-pursuing, me-first way that it looks like it works. The people who do that get on magazine covers. We name streets after them. We build, they build libraries and things and, and say, look at all the great things we're doing for you. There was a really rich man in Pittsburgh once and uh, the Carnegie family and people in Pittsburgh love the fact that they built museums and libraries and all these things, but, but the people who worked for him said, we love all these libraries, but we just wish he'd pay us. <laughs> you know, it's great that he's doing all that stuff, but why don't you just pay us a good wage? We're working like dogs for you. But he was a benefactor. You see? That's that mindset. You should be grateful for all these things I'm doing for you. You can't act like that when you have the heart of a servant. You just don't think that way. But you don't get to the top. And, and believe me, there are people who are in those kinds of positions who are servants. They're out there. All, all uh, Businesses all across our city, all across our state, all across our country and the world, there are people who are servants who are in positions of great influence and power, and they don't act like the Gentile rulers who say it's all about me. Now, they're not perfect people, but they have been servants, and God has moved them up. Because God wants to promote people. If you're faithful in small things, he wants to give you more influence. He wants that kind of thinking in higher places, in places of greater influence. That's Every one of us are meant for that. And that includes working hard and all that, too. So I think that, that how do you become a servant? Like you may say, well, I want to do that, John. Jesus said at the very end of this story that we read, when he, he, he told them, don't be like the rulers. Whoever wants to be great must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be last or must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, who in Jewish thinking, the Son of Man was considered to be the greatest person in the Old Testament that, that the Old Testament prophets spoke of. The Son of Man in Daniel was going to be this man that ruled over everything that came along. And Jesus said, me, the Son of Man, didn't come to be served. They thought the Son of Man would come to be served. Jesus said, no, I'm that person. I'm the prototype. I'm the megas. I'm great. But I didn't come to be served, and so you shouldn't. Now, here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you were baptized into the Father, so you're family. You're baptized into the Son, so you're a servant. 
Next week, we're going to look at what does it mean when you're baptized in the Spirit. But we're family because we're baptized in the name of the Father. The Father has a family. We're, the, we're servants because we're baptized in the name of Jesus who said, I am a servant. I came to serve. And I'm, I'm changing the narrative about it, what greatness is and how you achieve it. But here's the thing. You achieve it if you get this. He said, and I came to be a ransom. What does that mean? In their time in the marketplace, if you wanted to buy a slave, you had to pay for that slave. And the ransom did one of two things. It transferred ownership from owner A to owner B, or you paid for the slave to his, his, him to be freed from owner A and not be anybody's slave anymore. You had to pay a price. Jesus said there, I came to be the price to free slaves. What was he freed slaves of? Now, this is just one of the points that you see in the Bible, that God, whatever slavery went on in the world, God, it has never been God's purpose that slavery would be considered a good thing. The seeds for the emancipation of, and the unraveling of the whole system of slavery as has existed in the world since time began up to this day are in the Gospels. And Jesus did not come to just say, yeah, slavery, that's cool. He came to break the power of the mentality that holds that people are so worthless that we can own them. But what he said was that the mentality that he came to ransom us from is the mentality of I've got to have my own way. It's a tyranny that's in all of our hearts. It is what the, the, the Apostle James, who was one of these two men whose mother came to Jesus and said, we want our two sons, James and John, to be on your right and left. Here's what James said in, in his wisdom later. He said, when writing about like conflicts and things that wreck the world, he said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. He goes on. That, the tyranny of I have to have what I want, is a tyranny that just ruins your life, and it ruins our lives. It ruins our relationships and families and community. Jesus came to be the ransom to free slaves and kings who are enslaved to that love of power and to the, to the demand that it's got to be my way. Listen, all of us here, I don't think it takes a lot of illustration to, to convince you that you've got that at work in your heart. And unless someone frees you from it, you're going to keep being driven by, it's got to be my way. But when you meet Jesus and you surrender your life to him, you let loose in your life this power that can free you from the tyranny of that. And it's the only thing that can. Only love, a love that's infinite and limitless and unconditional, can break the power of that thing in each of us that says, I've got to have my way. So you're sitting here listening to me, and maybe you've imagined it could be pretty cool to be a servant where I am and to see what God could do where I am. 
But that's not just where you work. It's home where you live. It's where you go to school if you're in school. It's the gym. It's recreational teams. Are you willing to be a servant in all those places? Because whenever someone chooses to be a servant, the kingdom begins to break into that place that's infested with this me-first attitude. You see, when you begin to say, I'm going to be a servant, and I'm going to love these people that are hard to love by doing whatever it takes, whenever it's needed, wherever that leads me, you begin to say something to those people that they matter. As you do that consistently, however imperfectly you do it, they begin to get a sense that, man, this person is treating me with respect and thoughtfulness, and they're looking out for my interest. It begins to work on a person's heart. It begins to deconstruct this system that's based on selfishness and greed and power and competition and says there's a better way. The leaven of the kingdom, Jesus says, this kind of leaven, yeast, that you work into flour, chemically transforms the flour. It has, it's the only thing that has the power to do it. Only a king who rules as a servant can turn this system upside down. And I heard a great story of in Ghana back in the 70s. There was this tribal conflict that had gone on for a long time. And so two outside mediators came in to get these tribal groups together because they just weren't. I mean, they just couldn't solve this, you know, ancient hostility that just kept them fighting and conflicting over water and land and animals and, you know, the air, everything. So they brought the two parties, the representatives of each tribe in. And so one of the tribes, their, their, their tribal chief came in dressed in his full tribal garb, you know, that, that, that basically he didn't wear every day. It was sort of like, you know, your, your Sunday best. And it basically said, I'm a big shot. You better respect me. He came in, and the other tribe didn't have a chief. He had died. And so some of the younger leaders came in, 